Another oh, one-two pitch. Is hit hard, deep right field, and Leone Tavares takes Verlander deep. Goff looking deep, wants it all. Jamison Williams looking for the ball. Got it! Touchdown! DeSmith was there. They're still looking for it. So in front at the top of the crease. Sports Radio is back in the Edmonton area. This is Sports 1440 and the Kevin Carius Show. All right, here we go. Saul, 29 for Monday, October 16th. We're halfway through October already. Uh, good morning uh, to you on this uh, Monday morning to kick off the work week. Uh, two degrees in Edmonton, looking for a high of 17. Not so great tomorrow. Rest of the week, not bad. But dare we say that dreaded S word maybe in the forecast next, next week. Uh, we would normally love to welcome in Lorianne Munzer at this time of the day, but Lorianne is off on a little excursion over in Europe. Last we heard, she was in Greece, uh, a couple of other countries. So, uh, Lorianne, uh, hope you're having a great trip, and we'll see you back in a couple of weeks and uh, get your input on a lot of things. But I guess the biggest input on everybody right now is... What is your level of concern, Oiler fans, after an 0-2 start following Saturday night's 4-3 loss to the Vancouver Canucks? Uh, send us a note to, I don't know, show that level of concern at 1-833-401-1440, 1-833-401-1440. What is your level of concern? Uh, well, we didn't have much of a level of concern, Duke, on Saturday night because we were enjoying the game at uh, Century Casino, our uh, Sports 14 watch party. Thanks for everybody that came out, enjoyed uh, a great time. Super thanks to, uh, hey, the low tide. Uh, Alan Mitchell was out, uh, and Sean K. Smith from our Sports uh, 1440 Stingray Sales Department. Big thanks to Nigel and the staff and, of course, most importantly, thank you to all our listeners and supporters who came out. We really had a great time. Uh, watched the Oilers game on the big screen and had some great food and some beverages and um, gave away a bunch of prizes, um, tickets to uh, a game against Winnipeg coming up. And, of course, we had the uh, Zamboni remote control cooler, which was a big hit. And uh, we will announce the winner of that, uh, I think, probably in our 8 o'clock hour. How does that sound? A uh, bunch of people... Uh, entered that we had uh, quite a few people that were out for the for the watch party so thanks uh everyone to that came out for that duke you were uh well i mean it was hard to get you out of the you know away from the tables and the dingers and all that what do you call them not the dingers yeah that's what we call them dingers okay yeah uh and i'm just kidding of course we watched the whole game uh but it was uh you know it was an interesting Vibe because you know when when you watch the first minute of the Oilers game, everyone's going all right. Here we go. I mean, this is the response, and there was a massive response. Uh, but I think everyone was kind of saying, "All right, here we go. This is exactly where the team is going to go after what happened in Vancouver on Wednesday night with that eight-one loss." But I'm not sure, Duke. I mean, it's a, it's a hard situation right now for Oilers fans to grasp going zero and two. Uh, again, it's a small sample size, the same team, 
they played both teams, obviously, yeah, Vancouver. But um, I think we were both, when we both were sitting there, I mean, the five-on-three power play was probably the turning point of the game when you had a five-on-three for uh, 50 seconds or whatever it was, um, and they failed to score on that. So um, are you concerned, Duke? Are our listeners concerned? But is the Duke of Delburn concerned? Yeah, I, probably I, not. I would... Uh... <laughs> I, I don't think so, Kevin. You know, no. obviously it's disappointing to start the season 0-2, versus, especially versus the same team, an in-division rival, uh, a Canadian rival team. But I think we saw a lot more positive things in that second game on, on Saturday mm-hmm. night compared to the season opener out in Vancouver. The result still wasn't there, and there's still certainly some things to clean up and uh, maybe some things to address. But overall, like, there's still 80 games left and yeah. I know Oilers fans are passionate and they want to be worked up and uh, I don't know if they did expect the team to go 81-1 and but that's just not realistic so it's a, it's another lump but they'll look to get right back after it again tomorrow in Nashville Ah uh, yes, Stair Farmer chimes in with his uh, daily roll call Good morning, if the Oilers finish with 80 wins and two losses uh, yeah, uh, then the first two losses mean nothing uh, Let's worry about the first win uh, I will be concerned after 15 games uh, if there is not a win or whatever like that, or if things don't change. Um, I'm going to look at, uh, how about this for our listeners and for you, the Duke. Here's box A. And, okay, shots on goal aren't the end-all, be-all. Shot attempts aren't the end-all, be-all. Zone time isn't the end-all, be-all. Um, but when you put a lot of them together and you stack them up, it kind of, you know, you can kind of good get a good gauge on exactly where things are. So here's box A. 40 shots on goal versus 16 shots on goal. Box B. 52 shots on goal versus 21 shots on goal. Box A, score was 4-3. Box B, 2-1. In a shootout. Hmm... So box A, I think you can figure out, was the Oilers and the Canucks on Saturday night. Canucks win 4-3. Oilers outshot the Canucks 40-16. to Basically doubled them in offensive zone time. Shot attempts off the chart. Okay, box B. 2-1 Colorado over San Jose. In a shootout. 52 shots on goal for Colorado, 21 shots on goal for San Jose. So similar, very similar kind of stats. Zone time dominated by Colorado, offensive zone time. Shot attempts, carrying the play, dominated. But the score was 2-1 in a shootout. In a shootout, San Jose managed to snag a point. Well, the reason they snagged a point was because of Mackenzie Blackwood. Stood on his head. Casey DeSmith stood on his head. But the difference is Colorado only gave up one goal on those 21 shots. The Oilers gave up four goals on those 16 shots. There's the difference. In the game. So, what is your level of concern? Send us a text 1 833 401 1440. North Side Norm. Uh, <laughs> I'm not concerned. Not the first time the Oilers have the bad to start the season. North Side Norm. Been, uh, what, three years? No, four years now, I guess, since uh, an 0 2 start. 
Um, a lot of people were talking over the weekend about the ice time. You know, we saw the fourth line. Adam Ernie comes in after signing that contract. Congratulations to Adam. I mean, anytime you can sign a contract after a, a PTO, uh, you've accomplished something. Now, I mean, would Adam Ernie have signed the contract had Brad and Sutter not retired? Possibly not. But still, option B is was there, and he worked his tail off in camp and is deserving of an NHL contract. So the fourth line, Adam Ernie, Derek Ryan. I think Adam Ernie played a touch bit more than the rest of the guys up front. Derek Ryan was only like five and a half minutes. Ernie was about the same. Matthias Janmark was a little bit higher. Um, the balance obviously wasn't there. However, I think game script uh, dictates that. Oilers, when you're in chase mode, it's always the same thing. They always talk about it in, in the NFL. Um, game script dictates running back usage. Well, if you're behind, you're throwing the ball more. Uh, you know, the Oilers had seven power play attempts. So, yes, all the top guys are going to play more minutes, and they did. They played a lot. 25-26 for Leon Dreisaitl. 26-08 for Connor McDavid. Um, but again, the, a lot of these like, two-minute power plays, which brings up another question. Um, even though the Oilers' power play was two for seven, should the Oilers maybe taper back and bring out the second unit a tad more, maybe a little a little cookie here here and there? Always up for discussion. Send us a text, 1-833-401-1440. Oilers in Nashville tomorrow. Uh, Stair Farmer says Ernie looked good on the PK. I mean, the Oilers only, uh, I guess, were shorthanded three times. Uh, two for seven on the power play, uh, one for three on the PK. So that's four power play goals, uh, a short sample size again in the first two games. Um, you know what else happened yesterday, which was just outstanding for um, local hockey, local product, local uh, AJHL? Matt Tompkins from Edmonton, played goal for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, The Lightning lost the game, unfortunately. But what a journey for Matt Tompkins. And I I remember doing stories on this guy about a dozen years ago. Played for the Sherwood Park Crusaders. Two years played for them. Uh, Played with guys like uh, Sean McTavish, uh, the son of Craig McTavish. Uh, Tim Fraggle was the coach out there that uh, a dozen years ago. Then he gets a, 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 a NCAA scholarship like so many, like so many um, junior players in Alberta do and across the country. He goes to Ohio State University, plays four years there. So when he was in Sherwood Park, he was drafted um, by Chicago. Seventh round pick, 199th overall, 2012 draft, so 11 years ago. I mean, let's be honest, like at that point of the draft, you're going, let's take a flyer. Maybe this guy can work out. He's going to be going to the NCAA. We don't have to worry about him for quite a while. He ends up in Ohio State, plays four years there. Now, what are you going to do? Well, either you can come home, be a plumber, work at Mr. Rooter, or you can kind of follow your dream, bounce around the minors, see what happens. And that's what he did. Went on playing the East Coast League. Uh, but then had a little bit of a snippet, a little harbinger uh, in Rockford. That's the uh, AHL farm team of the Blackhawks. 
it's not working out. I mean, you're getting old, and now they're going, you are so far down the depth chart. We've drafted six goalies since you, and you're not you're not there. So, adios, see you later. So, off to Europe. Well, I mean, how, you know, see the world, explore the world. So, Matt Tompkins goes over to um, Sweden, plays two years in Sweden, but while he's over there, well, Hockey Canada goes, you know, here's a guy that can come and play with us at the Spengler Cup. He can be our third goalie. He can go to the Olympics, which he did in 2022, and be the third goalie because we know what we're getting. We know that he's going to be all in. We know that he's going to take a 1,000 shots in practice, and he guts it out. Now he ends up playing his first game in the NHL yesterday for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, congratulations, Matt Tompkins. Hell of a journey and very well-deserved to make it to the show. Well, today we've got another jam-packed show without Lorianne Munzer. Uh, but Lorianne will be back in uh, in our co-host chair in a couple of weeks. Terry Poole. Well, I'm really excited about this. Full disclosure, uh, everyone I think kind of knows I'm from Melville, Saskatchewan. That is where Terry Poole is from, the former Major League uh, baseball player with the Houston Astros. And before the likes of guys like Larry Walker and uh, Joey Votto and uh, now like even the up-and-comers like Edward Julien, um, uh, Morneau, you know, Larry uh, Larry Walker by far is the best positional player. But before Larry Walker came along, Terry Poole was the best Canadian positional player in Major League history. I mean, he was that good. He played for that long for the Houston Astros. So we will check in with uh, Terry and quick sidebar. I think the second or third interview that I ever did when I got into broadcasting in 1990, 33 years ago. So uh, made a call last night and he says, yeah, sure, let's do it. Uh, Mark Spector on the mark uh, for Booster Juice at 8 o'clock. We're still working on another uh, hockey guest at 820. We'll uh, work on that with the Duke of Delburn. 9 o'clock at Michael Gelkin uh, from the Dallas Morning News. We'll be checking in to uh, talk about tonight's Monday Nighter, the Cowboys and the Chargers. Dallas, I believe, favored by a couple of points, but we'll see what happens there. Michael McGarry, uh, well, well, man, you know, Philadelphia is just bursting at the seams. Phillies open up game one of the NLCS tonight against Arizona. Uh, we'll guest with Michael at 10 o'clock. Then at 10.20, how about this for another great local story? Lawal Ugwak, who plays for the Montreal Alouettes, and he's still in town because the Alouettes came into Commonwealth on Saturday and trailed 21-3, but ripped off oh, a few unanswered points. Uh, end up beating the uh, Elks and securing home field advantage for the CFL East final. The Lawal is staying in town for the Alouettes bye week. And let me tell you, there isn't a lot, there's been a long time since the Ugwak family has been together. And we're going to get uh, Lawal's comments on this because we've talked to her uh, for the Stingers. Uh, Deng is a, a big football player at Harry Ainley, I believe, still. So we're going to check in with uh, Lawal Ugwak at 1020. Uh, so jam-packed show. Keep the text coming in. we got a lot to uh, talk about with Oilers. Uh, 1-833-401-1440. When we come back, Terry Poole, the former Houston Astro, joins us on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. 
All right, welcome back to the big program. Time now for our headliner of the day, brought to you by Mr. Reuter. They are sports fans like all of our listeners and are pumped that Sports Talk Radio in Edmonton is back. For all your plumbing needs, you can go to mrreuter.ca as we welcome in Terry Poole uh, to the program. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, uh, it's really kind of interesting to hear, you know, <laughs> Your name on the you know, uh, on a very prominent sports show. That's uh, that's very impressive. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Terry. Uh, you know, as I was saying, uh, full disclosure here. Terry and I are from the same hometown, Malville, Saskatchewan. One of the reasons that I got into baseball, Terry was you know one of the best players around. Obviously, uh, uh, so just for the, our listeners, Terry, you won a Canadian midget championship, I believe, in seventy three or seventy four. And then went on to sign with Houston, but um, I mean, what was it like, kind of growing up in the middle of nowhere, and then signing with the Houston Astros? <laughs> well, there's quite a story here. There's uh, you know, the, the the signing actually occurred in '73. We won the midget champions national championship in Barhead, Alberta, not too far oh. from where you were, and uh, so the scout was there, and uh, we. Uh, you know, he said that uh, would you like to uh, would you entertain a professional contract? <laughs> I looked at him like, are you crazy? Of course I would. <laughs> it's like, and so then he came back to Melville two weeks later just to make sure my arm was okay. Uh, ran me through some brief uh, drills over at Puri Field. You remember? Yes, Field for sure. There? Yeah. And uh, you know, I actually split my twelfth grade into two two years. I went to the first semester left high school and went to play my first year of professional ball, came back, played my second year, uh, the following year. I didn't really graduate with the, with my true graduating class, but, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but anyways, uh, uh, it was, it was quite an experience that really in my life. Oh man. And it's so good to talk to you. As I said to our listeners off the top, uh, you were one of the first ever interviews that I did. Uh, when I got into broadcasting in 1990, when I was working at old CKOS TV in Yorkton, which you remember, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was one of the right, two Linus channels. We- Linus Westberg used to be there. Yeah, Linus Westberg now in Red Deer. I, last I heard, yeah, anyway. Yeah, uh, you know, I still talk to Linus. Oh, oh that's amazing. Uh, it's, it's, that guy is—he's—he <laughs> is—he—he goes so hard. You know, it's—it's it's wonderful to see. Uh, and you know, another guy who's like that is. Cal Smith. Cal Smith was a general manager for the Astros here. Okay. He had his 90th birthday party recently. A bunch mm. of us players, we all showed It was a surprise birthday party. That guy remembers more about the 80 series than we do. You know, <laughs> so, I mean, it, he can, you know, he walks around like as if he's in his 70s. And, you know, it's just, it's really neat to watch. Terry Poole is our guest on the Kevin Carrier Show on Sports 1440. So, Terry, you, you kind of mentioned your early days when you went to, to, I guess it would be rookie ball and low-level A and things like that. How was it that you sort of, um, I guess, fast-tracked your career over the next couple of years to climb the ladder in the Astros organization? Well, if people probably don't remember, but uh, the Astros were horrible <laughs> in the 70s. Five area era uh, Astros were, were were one of those 100 loss type uh, ball clubs. Uh, they were an old team, and uh, they were making significant changes. They brought in Bill Verdon as a manager, mm-hmm. and and his his uh, he was uh, assigned to make it not only better but younger. And 
so I got fast tracked, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, after my A ball season in Dubuque, Iowa, in '75. Uh, I had a, I was in a, a dead heat uh, for the hitting title with a guy named Pete Guerrero with the Dodgers. Yes, you remember at oh, that time, sure. and uh, you know, uh, I ended up hitting uh, uh, three forty nine that year, and I mean that those are those are good numbers. And, and Pete got so hot that last week, and you know he just blew me out. But uh, I, I actually had thought I had won the batting title, but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was uh, it was uh, that was the the time when the Astros I put myself on the map with the Astros and I got fast tracked after I went to double A the following year. Actually was in double A uh, uh I used to we used to have to there was about five of us who were were required to go early every morning at home games mm-hmm. and we had to go out to the field and work out. Well one of those guys was was uh, Bruce Bochi, who's the manager yeah. now with the Texas. Uh, the Texas Rangers, mm-hmm. and uh, so Bruce would pick me up in his blue Chevy Nova, <laughs> and we would drive 100 miles an hour to the ballpark. I'd be literally in the passenger <laughs> side, just shaking and holding on the whole time. <laughs> He's a great guy, Bruce. I'm, I, you know, dearly love him. And, yeah. uh, you know, happy to see what he's doing, but he needs to he needs to slow down a little bit. Let the Astros hit a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you know what? We're gonna little take a quick sidetrack and talk about last night's game before we uh, talk a little more about your career. Did, were you able to go to the game last night? I wasn't at the game. We had okay. a party at our house that uh, we uh, uh, that we were hosting, and uh, so we uh, we watched every pitch. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and so it was kind of a frustrating game from our standpoint. Yeah. Uh, but you know that's uh, the nice thing about this series. It is a seven-game series, yeah. and the the Astros are a team that they don't panic. They they really won't panic. These guys, you don't know who's going to show up today to hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they're they're a sneaky team that way, and uh, you have to respect them for that. Um, you don't know if Alvarez has a good game tonight, uh, we win. Yeah. Okay, it's just as simple as that. And if Tucker you know gets rolling. He's, he's struggling at the plate. Uh, you know, and, of course, uh, as uh, El Tuve goes, the team goes, too. Terry Poole is our guest on the uh, Kevin Carey Show, Sports 1440. Terry played, oh, 14, 15 years with the Astros, a little bit of time with Kansas City at the end of his major league career, but widely regarded as probably the best uh, Canadian positional player before the likes of uh, Larry Walker came along. So when you look at that game uh, last night and you see a guy like Justin Verlander pitching at his age, what what do you kind of look at and go, man, this guy can still bring it even the way he is at 40 years old? And uh, what did you see from Verlander last night? Well, yeah, uh, Verlander shows you why he's pitching at, first of all, at the age of 40 and for such long, um, for for as long as he has, mm-hmm. because he throws three, three quality pitches. He can throw any of them over for strikes. And then sometimes he'll even mix in, you know, a, uh, a changeup with it. You know, he doesn't throw that that often, but he, he can hit his spots and yeah, he's probably off a couple miles an hour from his glory, you know, days as well when he first came to the Astros. Uh, but uh, he, he he doesn't uh, he doesn't beat himself. He never knows. He is. I, I think he might be the king of only giving up when he does give up a home run. It's a solo home run, mm-hmm. and you know, in our game, 
you don't get beat for solo home runs. You get beat for the three-run homers of the old slams mm-hmm. or whatever like that. That's Those are the ones that cripple you. <clears throat> Another pitcher that used to do so well that way, pitch that way, was Roger Clements. Mm-hmm. If you just want Roger be looking over at the on-deck circle, see, well, he might be pitching around the guy at the plate because he's he's because he's focused on that next hitter. <clears throat> Uh, Terry Poole is our guest on the uh, Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Um, we talked about the Astros lineup. I'm just wondering what you see when you look at a guy called up like Evan Carter for Texas. Does he remind you of maybe, a, maybe a, who knows, just a, a young Terry Poole coming up at the, you know, isn't it amazing what he's contributed so far? Yeah, he is. He's uh, he's swinging the bat awfully well. It's, and, uh, you know, that's a case where, Probably the Astros don't have a lot of information on him, um, but then again, you know he hasn't seen a lot of the pitchers too. Mm-hmm. You know, he's sitting down the lineup. Uh, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, good for him. He's, he's done a heck of a job. That's hey, when whenever you get an opportunity, mm-hmm. it doesn't. You know, you have to step and through that door. You ha- you have to make it happen at that time. That's what he's doing. And you got to tip your cap to him. You know, it's like I, I used to always tell players when I was coaching at the uh, at the university. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, "Hey, you guys, you, you're you're 20 years old now." I said, "I was 19, and I was playing AAA baseball." <clears throat> I said that remember one thing, and that is the baseball doesn't know how old you are mm-hmm. when it's being thrown to you by the pitcher. Okay, it doesn't have a clue. So, so what if you're you know 19, 20? You know, you, you need to get it done at that at that level because because whenever opportunity comes, that's when you have to rise up because you may never. Some guys don't get a second opportunity. Some guys get five opportunities, yeah. <laughs> but uh, some guys only get one. And so you got to make it happen. He's making it happen. We are with the Terry Pool on Sports fourteen forty. So in nineteen eighty. Um, you had a great season with the Astros. You've been up uh, with the big club for a couple of seasons, but you had 13 home runs in 1980. By no stretch, as you would fully admit, you were uh, not a power guy, but you had 13 dingers. But you guys make it, the Astros do, to the National League Championship Series against Philadelphia, where you hit 526 in the series? I did. Yeah, uh, it was one of those time periods where everything uh you know i was swinging i was hitting on the barrel uh i might back up and just say that uh, the astrodome where we played was the most difficult place to ever hit a home run i was told when i first walked in by bob watson who was a power hitter at that time he said terry if you want to survive in the astrodome you have to keep the ball out of the air and i, I saw guys come in mike schmidt who well, I mean, but he had 500 home mm-hmm. runs in his career. He came. I've never seen a more frustrated hitter when he came to the dome. The dome, you know, the air conditioners would blow in. You know, it was dead air because of the humidity in Houston, and uh, it just the ball would not fly there. And then we had the, the spacious Astrodome too. You at the when I played there, you had to hit the ball up into the seats. Mm-hmm. You know, later on they actually put an interior fence and in, brought it in about. You know, 10, 15 uh, feet, and uh, it was like a 
10 foot wall. I remember walking out there after I'd finished playing with the Astros and with Craig Reynolds, we were, we were there before a ball game. We stood at home plate and looked at the new fence and we went, Oh my gosh, why, <laughs> why wasn't that fence here when we played? <laughs> oh, uh, so in that 1980 series, uh, best of five, I believe back then. Yes, it was league championship series with the Phillies. Yeah. And it was a close series, obviously. Um, how close were you to? I mean, the Phillies went on to win the World Series. How close were you to beating uh, the, four, the? You know what would be the uh, World Champs? Yeah, well, that uh, that series went uh, five games, of course. Uh, four of them were uh, decided in extra innings, and oh. the last one was decided in the bottom of the uh, one of the ninth inning. And so it's a, it was a, one of the greatest series you know, the, of all time, really. I think. Uh, and um, like you said, the the, the Phillies, they, there was no quitting them, but there was no quitting us either. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it was a little more offensively uh, uh, type of a series than what I think everybody thought, you know, with the likes of Steve Carlton and Nolan Ryan on the other sides. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there, were some, there were some heavyweight pitchers too. Oh, man, oh, man. Terry Poole is our guest on the Kevin Carey Show, Sports 1440. Uh, you finished your major league career with a 993 fielding percentage. Uh, it was at the top for many, many years. I don't know if you even know if it still is number one all time for the amount of games played, but what was it about? Um, and I guess they never had, did, did they have gold gloves back then? They did have gold gloves, and I never never won one. Why I, not? Kind of, that's, well, that kind of <laughs> irritates me a little bit. But, yeah, that just, it, it was more of a popularity, popularity oh, contest back then. And uh, I remember one year, <laughs> not taking anything away from Dave Parker, mm-hmm. I think Dave had 14 errors one year, and he <laughs> won it in 79. I made zero errors, and I hit 292. And I went, uh, okay, uh, just, oh. uh, that's just something. I think one day I'll just... You take one of my old gloves and, and bronze it, and then just throw it up in you know somewhere's around the house. <laughs> oh, pretty cool. Um, but I remember you telling me one story. Uh, a lot of your buddies uh, from Malibu went down to Chicago, uh, watch a game at Wrigley when the Astros were playing there. I hope you can remember this uh, because you hadn't made an error for many many games, but something happened in that game where the sun was maybe a little in your eyes. Can you kind of tell that story? Well, actually, what happened was there was a little bit more in our eyes than anything. So we, you know, it, uh, three local uh, Melville guys came in, and uh, we had planned it. Now, let's uh, make sure we say that this was all prior to, you know, we were all single at the time. Okay. And so there was a little bit of partying going on. And remember, Chicago mm-hmm. played only day games at that time. And, you know, so we went out after game one, and uh, uh, we we drank a few beer, I have to admit, okay? And uh, so anyways, the next day, you know, I I get to the ballpark, you know, at 8.30 on the bus. I've had about three hours of sleep, I think. And, uh, and we get to the first inning. I'm playing center field, and somebody hits a line drive out to me, and I swear, even to this day, the ball took a bad bounce, came up and hit me off my chest and went and I got there was an error scored on the play you know because the runner went from first to second base mm-hmm. and you know I'm all, all my buddies are in the stands and they're going oh my gosh what have we done to TP <laughs> you know and uh, so anyways uh, uh, 
that game, we ended up uh, winning the game in extra innings against Bruce Souter, who was their yeah. closer at that time. And I, I went four for six. I went to four for six in that game. And uh, so, anyways, I've come walking out after the game, and you know, towards the bus, and we're going. And all my buddies are sitting there, and they're they're just you know cheering away and everything, and they're having a great time. And they said, "Come on, TP, we're going to have a party again." And I said, "Oh no, no, I'm going to bed right now." And so that was the last time I saw them over there. And but then I've I've seen them at a few of our uh, our, our events, uh, you know, around Melville in the past. And I'm, if they're ever in a, in attendance at those, I make them stand up because, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, uh, 18 errors, uh, but they had, they had, they were the reason for one of them. <laughs> <laughs> what a great story by uh, Terry Poole, uh, former Houston Astro, now been in Houston uh, since his career ended. Um, wanted to ask you one other story uh, that I hope you can remember again with Ferguson Jenkins. Um, we were, I, I don't know if we were doing a banquet years ago, but you told me this one. I uh, hope you can remember that and kind of relay that one to our listeners as well. Uh, sorry, I have my other line. That's all right. No worries. That, tell me. I think, well, I, I think he plunked you. Oh, Nolan? Uh, no, uh, Ferguson Jenkins. Oh, Ferg, okay. Yeah, yeah, that was in Chicago. You know, he, yeah. When he came back the second time, Fergie <laughs> was... He's over there, and he he, he throws a uh, I don't know what the count was in the pitch. Well, he hits me with a breaking ball on my thigh, okay, <laughs> and he got me right square. You know, the ball just hit and stopped right at home plate, and so you know the ball just you know goes about you know I don't know ten feet away towards the mound. He comes walking down, comes down, and I'm jumping up and down, you know, just trying to rub it out and everything, and he he doesn't look at me. And uh, all he says was, sorry about that, Canuck. <laughs> and I started laughing. I went down to first base. But it, was, it, was, it was pretty cool you know, you know, to uh, not only just to face Fergie Jenkins, who was obviously, you know, uh, he, and he's a great guy, too. Mm-hmm. I've got to meet him over the years. And uh, uh, it's just, just a wonderful uh, experience for me, you know, that, uh, that I got to face uh, a Hall of Famer, but the uh, uh, at that time, the only Canadian Hall of Famer. For sure. Was. Yeah, Terry Poole is our guest on Sports 1440, the former Houston Astro. At that time, let, you know, let's just say it was around that time, how many Canadians were in the majors that you, you know, you and it must have been a very small fraternity. Yeah, it was It was rather small. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, when I first broke in, I think there was about three or four of us, and uh, and, then, uh, and then the early 80s, for a period of about, I don't know, about four or five years there, I was the only one. Hmm. And, in fact, every time I'd go into Montreal, uh, the announcers would come over and say, well, you're holding the flag for the Canadians. And I'd go, well, I'll I'll be honest with you, you know, uh, know, that wasn't one of my thoughts that were coming up here. You know, I was was thinking about how to to get a hit off of Rogers. Mm -hmm. But, uh, uh, anyways, uh, uh, and then all of a sudden... You know the the Canadian programs took off, and uh, they were putting a lot of players in the minor leagues and and then big leagues. And I still remember when I was with uh, you know I was fortunate to coach Team Canada in the 2008 uh, Beijing Olympics, mm-hmm. and uh, Greg Hamilton, who's the head of Baseball Canada, asked me if I'd do it. And I you know usually I ask my wife if uh, it's okay, but. And I said, "Yeah, I'll do that one." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, 
that, that was a, that was a time when Ernie Witt couldn't because he was still with the he was still with the the major league team and no major league, you know right. in, in the regular season. But uh, you know, I, with Greg, you know, Greg knew the the baseball Canada so well. But at that time, there were 128 Canadian players either in the big leagues or in the minor leagues total at that time in 2008. So that they've come a long way. So that's kind of where I was going to go with this next, Terry, the growth of Canadian ball. And then what did you enjoy about being involved with the national team as manager? I think the best thing was, uh, you know, I, I, at the time, I just started with uh, the college program that we were uh, building in the uh, University of Houston, Victoria. Uh, I guess what it was is, was the talent level, you know, to be able to manage mm-hmm. uh, a, a level of player. You know, now, we we had most of our players were probably A ball. Um, we had, a, you know, one or two uh, guys from AAA. So I remember the U.S. team had all AAA players. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you know, we didn't, you know, we Canada didn't at that time still have. We tried to get a guy named Joey Botto, and um, but he was injured with the Cincinnati Reds at that time, and the Reds wouldn't let us have him. Uh, but uh, it was a it was a fun experience. I got to be around Mike Saunders, and Mike, if you remember, uh, uh, was with the Seattle chain at that time, and so I took him down and uh, uh, and played him the first game. He was he was brought on as a fifth outfielder, mm. and. He was 18 years old, 18 or 19 years old, in his first year with Seattle, and uh, and he played a couple of exhibition games. And he hit the ball; he could he had a cannon for an arm. And I said, I got to see more of this guy, Greg. And uh, so I kept on playing him, and I played him the whole uh, the whole time uh, um, down in Cuba. We went down to Cuba to play, and we came back, and I called up the Astros, and I called their general manager. I says, Hey. There's a guy in Seattle. His name is Mike Saunders. Make a trade for him right now. <laughs> and uh, and they said uh, they they told me, well, we'll put a guy on him. And I said, wait a minute. Are you, what do you mean put a guy on him? I just had him for two weeks. I've I've seen him play every day for two weeks, and they never did. Then the following year, he was in that uh, Futures game. Remember the the. That's right, and it was all over. You know, Mike, you know, mm-hmm. had the fast track to the big leagues. He was, uh, but he played. He played with uh, our program all the way through, and uh, great guy. I <laughs> you know, Mike. Yeah, Mike uh, was. Uh, he's a fun-loving guy, but boy, he had some tools. Uh, we're with Terry Poole. Hey, Terry, I've taken way too much of your time, but just a quick comment on how you see the rest of this uh, Houston, Texas uh, series shaping up. Well, I'm, I'm hoping now because I'm still a huge uh, Astro yeah. fan. Uh, that uh, the Astros was, you know, it was uh, the first couple of games. You know, they kind of feel each other out. You know, that's what's going to happen. But you know, the, I hate to say it, but you know, the, we have a day game today here mm-hmm. in Houston, and uh, it's. I'm not saying it's an absolute must game, but it's it's uh, is getting there pretty quick. You know, because we've got to go for three games in in Dallas. Uh, you know, so. Uh, you don't want to fall behind two, and then uh, you know yeah. you'll stare that in the face. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, one thing about you know, Bruce Bochy will not make mistakes. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He knows the game so well. He, now, whether his team can perform, that's a different story. 
but uh, I think what you'll see, the Astros are a very uh, experienced group. Uh, they don't panic. That's what I'm, you know, I keep on saying that over and over again. And that's, that's a critical thing at the, as a ball player uh, or a team in the major leagues because, you know, you have to have a confidence in what you're capable of doing and stay within yourself. When a team starts trying to do more than they're capable is when mm-hmm. they usually get themselves in trouble. Uh, but um, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I, I expect more runs scored, mm-hmm. uh, maybe on both sides. Yeah, I thought that was much tighter pitching than what I thought uh, – would occur here. Now, the bullpen, uh, the Astro bullpen has been pitching well lately, so if we can get a lead, I think we can hold them down, but you know, today's a big game for the Astros. Mm, for sure. Hey, Terry, I can't thank you enough for your time this morning. I shot you off a text yesterday, and I thought, ah, we'll see what he's doing, but, uh, you know, we've done a few banquets over the years, and obviously uh, I'm very proud to say I'm from the same hometown as you, so thanks for doing this today. Kevin, it's good to be with you. I say hello to all the people at Westlock, Alberta. I was there uh, as a Sandlot team when we were 12 years old. We we won the Western Canada title there. And then, of course, uh, when we went to Barhead and won the midget title, national title there. So Alberta is a a wonderful place uh, um, and uh, has a lot of history for Terry Poole in in terms of uh, his early baseball days well for sure uh, appreciate your time uh terry talk soon and uh keep cheering on the astros take care okay that's former houston astro terry Poole. um played 15 years in the major leagues of baseball and he's all set for uh game number two he'll be uh, cheering on his astros nathan avaldi versus framber Valdez uh, today. That was the headliner of the day. Brought to you by Mr. Rooter. There is a reason they call him Mr. For all your plumbing needs, you can go to mrrooter.ca. Well, that was pretty cool. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk. Uh, uh, we've got a little open text line. Text coming in at 1 833 401 1440. Top of the hour is Mark Spector for Booster Juice. Stay with us. This is the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. All right, welcome back to the big program, 747 in Edmonton, the Kevin Carrier Show with the Duke of Delburn, Brandon Douglas. Uh, man, that was pretty cool to have uh, Terry Poole on. I think, you know, a lot of people recognize that we've kind of known each other for a long time. And, you know, I, I forgot to, not forgot, we just sort of ran out of time, but he was, I wanted to ask him the, the, the one other story when he was uh, at the tail end of his career. He ended up uh, going to, to the New York Mets to, he might have been the uh, left-handed pinch hitter off the bench, but they had a guy named Mackie Sasser, who was the um, basically the backup catcher, uh, but he got that disease. Uh, Duke, do you remember the disease that uh, Chuck Knobloch had uh, when he was with the Yankees, couldn't throw to first base? Uh, the yips? He, well, <laughs> yeah, but he couldn't throw. Honestly, he couldn't throw to first base, uh, Chuck Knobloch. So Mackie Sasser couldn't throw back to the pitcher, could gun it down to second, but couldn't throw it back to the pitcher like he was all over the map so at that time the Mets had a staff of uh, uh, Doc Gooden David Cohn Sid Fernandez Uh, they had all these great pitchers and every time the ball's coming back to them it's either in the dirt it's over their head and finally the pitcher said we're not throwing the ball to this guy I'm not jumping up and down and Taking the back, uh, the throwback in the dirt and stuff like that. So Mackie Sasser ended up ended up to be the left-handed uh, pinch hitter off the bench uh, for the Mets. 
All right, text coming in, one 401 Norm in a combine says, Hey, I was in Houston the summer of 91, watched two games in the old Dome. What a place. Crazy big for a small town, Alberta. Boy, the old Houston Astrodome. Um, it was like they used to call it, like the seventh or eighth wonder of the world. And uh, it was just such a cavernous building. Man, oh, man, the things that they did in there. Truck, uh, monster truck pulls and, and things like that. Uh, okay, Oilers back in business tomorrow night against uh, Nashville. It's a two-game trip, Tuesday in Nashville. Then uh, Thursday in Philadelphia. The Oilers have allowed, uh, what, 12 goals against in two games. Is it a small sample size? Yes, but uh, the Canucks were a, a non-playoff team last year. And again, the biggest thing with the Oilers is that they're not sneaking anything by any team anymore. They are one of the top four or five favored teams to win a Stanley Cup. It's that simple. You can go to every pundit out east, every pundit in the States. They have the Oilers on their ballot of top five teams to win the Stanley Cup. Go to every betting site. It's on there. Duke, have you checked that out? It's on there, right? Am I correct? Uh, you are correct, Kevin. They are, they are they are right near the top of the board. Uh, moved down a little bit here, obviously, after the first <laughs> couple games, but uh, coming into the season, they That's, were right up there, depending on your book, uh, if not the odds-on favorite, very closely behind. Isn't that funny? So you have two losses, and then they slip a little bit, just like that? So the line, it's just crazy. Yeah, like, I, have, I haven't checked it okay. uh, the last couple days, but uh, I would think they probably slipped a little bit, for sure. Uh, penalty kill has given up uh, four, I guess. Three in game one, one in game two. Uh, Brendan sends in a text that says, everyone is taking them off now because of their five-on-five game. It sucks. Well, five-on-five, you're right. They have one even-strength goal, five-on-five. When you looked at that, and that would have been the first goal of the game, I guess, uh, on Saturday night, Leon Dreisaitl. Um, They could have had about three goals in that first 45 seconds, the way they came out of the gates, but... Didn't and again when you're when you have that uh, the feverish pitch of the home opener you got spanked eight one so you get that first one well every you got to connect the shifts keep playing as hard in shift two three four five continue on it's funny you know and then you know Vancouver tied it at one and kind of sucked a little life out of the building uh, for sure um. Tomorrow in Nashville, and uh, hey, we're going to speak with uh, uh, Pete Weber, uh, Predators play-by-play man at 9.20. Pete Weber has been, uh, well, he's been in Nashville basically since day one. That's a good 25 years now. So uh, got to know Pete a little bit when we were uh, doing Oiler games uh, along with Rod Phillips. And Pete's uh, one of the very best, uh, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Uh, Had some um, health problems a little bit uh, in the last few months. Uh, We'll check in with uh, Pete on that. But, uh, man, I mean, Nashville's a team where they've got some firepower too. They're not as... Um, deep, I think, as other teams are in the sense of uh, what they can offer, uh, you know, rolling lines. But we'll see what the Predators bring uh, tomorrow. Craig in Red Deer. Mm, okay, good morning, Kevin. If Connor Brown continues with the Invisible Man Act, do the Oil need to send him to the, to the minors and p- before he plays the 10 games and his bonuses start kicking in? Well, I mean, that's maybe a tad harsh, Craig. Uh, I think Connor Brown will be just fine. But uh, like Evander Kane, 
likely needs to step up, uh, play a bit more of an urgent game. Uh, Connor Brown and, uh, you know, flanking Connor Brown and Evander Kane flanking Connor McDavid need to bring more. Agree. But he's not going to the minors. Sorry. Um, at 10 o'clock, Michael McGarry uh, will be joining us. And then Lawal Uguak, again, in case you missed it off the top, uh, from the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, the Elks had that 21-3 to lead. I was at the game Saturday afternoon sitting in the big suite with Murray McCourt and all the gang from the Ranch Golf and Country Club, and everyone was fired up when it was 21-3, but then not so fired up uh, after the Alouettes just basically ran roughshod. Two big plays. I mean, Lawalu Guac actually forced the fumble uh, in late in the second quarter that resulted in that defensive touchdown, the forced fumble on Trey Ford. Uh, Mustaf Johnson uh, carried the ball in, but Lawalu Guac was the guy that forced the fumble, the Edmonton product. And then, of course, the monster uh, return off the missed field goal. Um, When we come back, we will check in with Mark Spector, on the mark for Booster Juice from Rogers Sportsnet. Uh, stay with us. Uh, Spectre's coming up at the top of the hour on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Oh. But before that, how about a sports update brought to you by First Round? Uh, hey, it's Monday, so you know what? Uh, wear your NFL jersey tonight to the downtown location and get 50% off wings and maybe... Mark Lavers will buy you a beer, too, because he's doing so well in Doopy's fantasy football. I'm sure he's right on the mark with that after seeing global warming drop to 0-7 Duke. Here is the Duke.